Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Melbourne, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. What will it mean to live in an exponential society? Is one a singular or a collective? Will we upload consciousness and merge with AI, or is the singularity our uploading into a collective consciousness? The ocean is made up of immeasurable numbers of singularly powerless droplets, yet together they create a powerful mass that covers over 70% of the planet. The power of one can be dictatorial, or it can be the collected unity of voices steering the world to compassion and love. To explore the possibilities of this topic, we invited Christina Gerakates, a creativity and innovation catalyst whose depth of knowledge and engaging style have made her a popular presenter at major conferences including Singularity U Australia Summit, Vivid Ideas and Creative Innovation. Exponential, The Road to Infinity. A Florence Guild conversation with Christina Gerakates. Thank you. So, I probably won't sit down for very long because I've been told I've got ADD, but we'll just see how we go. Thank you very much for spending your lunchtime um, with me and thank you very much to Work Club for the invitation to come and, and speak. Uh, I'm going to try a little bit of technology. I have a couple of um, songs that I'd just like to play a snippet for to lead us in. Uh, but first of all, I thought I would just um, say something about Singularity University because it, it's a cause that is quite uh, dear to me. We have been really fortunate to be awarded the first um, the first chapter licence uh, in Australia. So we have uh, had a couple of events around what that means. We were very fortunate to be involved in the, in the Singularity Youth Summit uh, with some incredible minds like Kyla Colburn, who is the New Zealand ambassador, like Raymond McCauley, like um, Peter Diamandes was part of the, the uh, experience that I had at Silicon Valley. So, Singularity University has, uh, has a cause to solve some of humanity's grand challenges. Uh, and that's, I guess, where we all kind of fit in. So why is it that we do what we do? What is the purpose behind every one of your businesses? Why is it that you um, decide that you wake up in the morning with passion to complete a task? And that's something that's very close uh, to me as well. I do some work with Simon Sinek, start with Y Team, also in well, they're based all around the world, so New York, uh, and I work quite, I've worked uh, with um, Peter uh, in, from the Cotswolds, so around passion, purpose, what happens to you when you actually find what that is and how it kind of lands you in the space that you want to be in. So I want to start by saying that there are no perfect answers and we never know. And one of the things that drove that home to me uh, in great detail was a conversation I had with Mark Randolph, who's one of the founders of Netflix. And he said that he had seven companies. He started seven companies. And he said, I have no idea why Netflix worked. And Netflix, in fact, was about to, to dissolve. And it's a really interesting story. So, and I like giving you case studies um, 
because I think they're awesome things to take away with you and, and think about. But he was telling me about this um, experience that he had where Netflix was about $20 million in the hole. They were about to close up shop, you know, about to, to finish up. Uh, and he said they got a, a call from Blockbuster. They'd originally made some contact with Blockbuster and said, you know, can we, can we talk? Would you like to acquire us? Whatever. So they're five guys. They're, they're holidaying in Hawaii. I think it might have been their last hurrah sort of thing. Uh, and they got a phone call from Blockbuster. And so they hired a jet. And I said, but you were $20 million in the hole. How, why hire it? He said, we were $20 million in the hole. The jet cost us $10,000. Think about it. I went, okay. So they've all got in this, in this jet and, and gone and had a meeting with Blockbuster. And Blockbuster said, well, what will it take to acquire you? And they said, $20 million. And Blockbuster said, see you later. Have a nice life. Goodbye. And it was actually on the way back in the jet that they decided instead of giving up, they were going to stick it to Blockbuster. So the rest of its history, they did. Blockbuster went under and Netflix survived. Um, and Netflix's whole story about how they originated and, and what their prototyping was and, and all that information is really interesting if you ever um, get an opportunity to read into how they started by sending a CD in the mail and seeing how long it would take to get to a, a certain destination. And that was the beginning. That was their prototype um, of, of the whole concept that was Netflix. So what I'd like to do is see if my technology will work and just play you a couple of bars of this song. We could change this whole world with a piano Add a bass, some guitar, grab a beat and away we go I'm just a boy with a one-man show No university, no degree, but Lord knows Everybody's talking about exponential growth And the stock market crashing in their portfolios While I'll be sitting here with a song that I wrote Saying love could change the world in a moment But what do I know? So one of the terms that's quite common these days is um, exponential growth and, and things are changing exponentially and we know that things are changing faster than they have ever changed before. Uh, and that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. As Seth Godin says, whoever invented the car invented the car crash. So for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction in everything that we do. So people are scared of change, people are scared of technology, people are scared of um, AI, artificial intelligence, where is it going to lead us? And you'll read lots of articles about how fearful we should be and how it's going to overtake everything. But there's an interesting theory um, and I like to think I came up with it, but I'm sure I didn't, because we are actually a collection of all the things that we read and all the things that we hear and all the things that we say. And those aha moments that we have, they're not actually unique to us. They're, they're a time when we go into a theta state of thinking, or, and it happens usually just before we wake up or just before we go to sleep, in the shower, when we're walking. And it's a place where we're quiet enough to join the dots of all the things that we know. So when we're trying to problem solve and you go, oh my God, I got it. And it's usually some, I mean, does anyone have one in the shower? Does anyone have their, oh my God, I got it in the shower? Okay. Anyone uh, just before they wake up or before they go to sleep? Okay. Oh, lots of those. Okay. Um, and I hope you keep notebooks next to your bed. Uh, what about walking on the beach? That's where I kind of get a lot of mine. Yeah. So they're actually a collection of all the things that we know and all the things that we've read and absorbed, but we're in a quiet enough space to be able to connect all those things that we have, that we have accumulated. And there's a, a process of thought that says, 
are we living in an abundant age where we have abundance of opportunity or are we living in a scarce age where we need to be fearful of AI and we need to be um, fearful of losing jobs and everything that, that, that potentially all the scaremongers have us believe will happen. But if you have a look at some of the advances in artificial intelligence and what, what it's actually leading us to, uh, it's very difficult to argue against it. So there's a part of singularity um, is that Peter Diamandis and some other influential people like Larry Page, who's a founder of Google, and, and some other, you know, Ariana Huffington, they're all, all involved in, a, in an organisation that's affiliated with Singularity University, and it's called the XPRIZE Foundation. And what they're trying to do is utilise the best of technology so that we can solve humanity's greatest challenges. Um, and Tom Kelly from IDEO, one of my favourite quotes of all time is when he says, we will be at our best when humanity and technology meet. What will humans need? So Tom Kelly is, is one of the founder, founder brothers um, of IDEO. So along those principles, along that, that theory of humanity and technology meeting, the X Prize Foundation has an education prize because they totally believe that the best way to bring ourselves out of some of the trouble uh, that we are in, in the world as far as poverty and health and everything goes, is to give everybody an education. So what they have is a prize that says, if you can come up with the software that will teach people in third world countries basic reading, writing and numeracy, you will win $10 million. Okay, so what they've done is some, they've selected five finalists who have created um, some apps and they're now testing those apps in third world countries to see if over, over a period of 15 to 18 months the app can teach people basic numeracy literacy which is quite an incredible thing when you think about um, a group of people who might be solving a grand challenge at that level but what we hear a lot about is is the, um, is the fear and the replacement of humans. And there's a, an organisation, they're the transhumanist movement, and they can't wait until we upload our consciousness into um, an AI, okay, into artificial intelligence. And we have all prosthetic limbs because they believe that from the minute we're born, our skin starts dying, and from the minute we're born, our brain starts deteriorating. But if we can find what that consciousness is and upload it into artificial intelligence, we can live forever. So there's, there's that thinking on one side and on the other side there is the thinking around technology of how do we make humanity better, how do we make things better for each other. So if we come back to what is the singularity, I believe that we are already living the singularity because I believe there's an increase in collective consciousness and I believe that we are um, working more closely together to solve the problems of humanity and you find out about all these different organisations uh, and you find out about people who have passion and purpose behind what they're doing and what it is that they want to accomplish and instead of moving into into an area of scarcity we share abundance and we share ideas and we're moving into areas where we have creative commons so creative commons is no copyright it means that everything is open sourced we have organisations like Udacity who say come and learn as much as you can um, and it's free we have uh, organisations that bring people together to have conversations like here at Florence Guild. So we are working in a collective consciousness for the betterment of humanity. And I also believe that the principles behind design thinking 
follow that. And design thinking isn't new. So you're nodding. Do you use the principles of design thinking? Uh, yeah, I'm in the legal industry. Yeah. And the legal industry is so late to the party with legal yeah. design, but it is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so design thinking opens everything up. It just goes, how many people of diverse natures, attitudes, knowledge can we bring around the table to solve a problem? And what we find is that if we use those basic principles of design thinking, which have been around since the 60s, it's not new, even though in Australia we're kind of just catching up. Um, I've been to conferences in the States where they have whole streams built around the principles of design thinking. And I come back here and say to a medical organisation, oh, we need to run a design thinking workshop. And they go, maybe. When? What was that? Anyway, so. Um, but what I can say to you as entrepreneurs, because if you're collecting in, in areas such as this is, be the source, be the source of the information. Don't be scared to come up with new things. Don't be scared to share new information because that's where the magic lies. And that's where the beauty of organisations like Singularity University and IDEO and um, Seth Godin's principles, they all come together to say, be the individual, be the creative, but be a part of this collective consciousness. So it's the creativity and it's the uniqueness and the individuation of every person that forms what we now believe is the greater collective. So I'm about to play another song if I can get it to, to work twice in a row. Uh, but I would like to say this to you as well. I've actually been in a situation where I've had a sensor on my forehead and I have controlled the movement of a robot. And so what we can do with that collective consciousness and what we can do with the power of our mind, we are only just beginning to discover. But I put this sensor on and all I could think of was, kids, look out, here I come. If I can, if I can control this robot with my, uh, with my brain, look out, I'm bringing it home with me. Uh, but it was an absolute, when I stepped back, like it was a bit of a game, you know, here I make the robot turn left, right, whatever. But when I actually stepped back and went, my God, that is quite remarkable that we are now in positions where we can control things like little, little robots that crawl on the floor with our, with our mental processes. Um, and it's being taken to medical heights with, so people who have suffered paraplegia or quadriplegia, they are now moving prosthetic arms and controlling robotic arms with their mental state. And what they're doing is they're immersing people, this is only one of the methodologies, but they're immersing people in AR and VR. And so as a quadriplegic, you might be immersed in, in um, a virtual reality experience where you're using the limbs that you cannot physically use. And what they're finding is that after being immersed in things like this for three to six months, they're starting to gain movement back into the areas of their body that, that had lost movement. So when we say, where does technology benefit humanity? For me, that is, that is where the beauty lies. If I could actually stop my children suffering from something that I knew was a genetic disease, that, that their likelihood was that potentially they could um, inherit, what would I not do in order for that to happen? So this is where the ethical conversations really need to be had constantly. And this is where um, one of the rising um, positions in organisations is now as chief ethical officer. So next little piece of music that I would like to play for you is, I only got this yesterday, so I'm just experimenting. Run away to a world that we Every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors 
The world does belong to the dreamers um, and it belongs to the people who have grand visions. And one of the things that, that they talk about at Singularity University is having a mass transformative purpose. So what is the big thing that needs changing? What is the big thing that we would like to see in the world? Um, so Elon Musk, who cops flack all the time. So I don't know whether you're a Musk lover or a Musk hater and it doesn't really matter because what this individual is doing is changing the world, one automobile at a time. Uh, and someone was, well, I was talking and they, they kind of said, you know, but, but it, all these elite um, vehicles that he's, that he's created. Uh, but the backstory is that Elon Musk created the $200,000 Roadster and had a limited edition so that he could sell it to people who wanted to be the first in the early adopters. I don't know if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, but the early adopters are the, the first ones that go in. And he wanted to sell these vehicles to these early adopters because he wanted them to fund the $100,000 model. And then he's made a, a, a few more of the $100,000 models because he wanted those $100,000 models to now fund the $70,000 model and the $30,000 model, which is what most people are spending on a new auto, auto, um, automobile. So I was very fortunate, n not this year, but last year to be at the Tesla factory in, um, at, in Reno. They've got this enormous area called the Reno, the Taha Reno Industrial Center. Uh, and Elon Musk has purchased a, a huge piece of land and they're in stage one, at that point they're in stage one of, of this huge factory uh, there. And I was talking to the, to the tour guide that was taking us around. Um, and, he's, and I said to him, you know, you're so advanced in, in vehicles. And he said, look, all our plans are out there. We want everybody to come on board. We want, we want the electric vehicle to be the next thing. He said, but you know what? He said, for us, it's not about being the best electric vehicle. He said, for us, we want to be the best vehicle. Because if you're going to be the best electric vehicle, your target market is narrowed, okay? If you want to be the best vehicle, the world is your target market, regardless of whether you want an electric vehicle or a gasoline chewing vehicle is how they, they put it. Um, but if you have the best vehicle, people are gonna want your car. So their aim isn't to make the best electric vehicle, their aim is to make the best vehicle for people to purchase. And that goes through people with mass transformative purposes, people who want to infect the world um, with change and who want to change the world for better have mass transformative purposes that actually achieve those milestones. So Branson is another guy and you either love him or you hate him. I don't know that there's that many people that hate Branson but so Branson has galactic so you know the the um, the spaceship and if you want to go on the first tour of galactic it's going to cost you a lot of money to be one of the first passengers but does anyone know why they're doing galactic like does anyone know what his methodology is behind the space vehicle okay so what he wants to do is take travel outside of the earth's atmosphere because if he takes travel outside of the earth's atmosphere we save on carbon emissions and if we can save on carbon emissions, we're going to save the hole in the ozone layer. And if we can save the hole in the ozone layer, then we can all breathe better and we're going to have a, a happy, healthier planet. 
So some people go, oh, he's just, you know, all he wants to do is be macho and, and have international space travel. But it's really important to look at the backstory behind a lot of, a lot of um, what these entrepreneurs are doing and why they're doing it. So there's a whole, you know, the, the whole group of them. Bill and Melinda Gates kind of wear their, wear their um, hearts on their sleeves with all the work that they're doing with immunisation and health in third world countries. Um, Larry Page, with his involvement in Google Plus, has donated. So go back to the when I was telling you about the X Prize with the reading, writing, numeracy. They've donated 100,000 tablets to um, people in third world countries because if you're going to trial an app, you need a device to trial it on. So mass transformative purpose. So what I would like to do is challenge you to go, what is your mass transformative purpose? What's the change that you really want to see in the world? So at the crux of your business is clearly a passion or a love for, for something that you are involved in. But what's the bigger vision? What's the, how do you want to help the whole of humanity? How do we want to be part of the singularity that is a collective consciousness that is making life better? for everybody and not just for small pockets of people. So mass transformative purpose is, is quite remarkable. Um, when I was at the SU executive program, I'm a vegetarian, so I didn't actually try it. But uh, they had, have you all heard about the artificial meat? The, the, it's not artificial meat, it's actually grown off a cell. So the DNA of the meat is exactly the same as the meat that you might buy at the butchers. But it, it was not grown on an animal, it was grown in a dish or somewhere. Um, it, was, it was grown through science and it's about $5,000 a kilo at the moment. Uh, but at, at this event, they all had, you know, little morsels of it to try and they tried it and they said it was quite amazing. Uh, and I kind of went, okay. And my daughter said to me, would you eat this meat if it doesn't hurt animals? And I went, I don't know. Like I've so lost the taste for it, I don't know. But the reason that they're doing this isn't just so that we don't kill animals and, and harm animals, it has a greater purpose. So if you have a think about it, it costs a lot of land and a lot of water and a lot of feeding to feed populations of meat, meat eating, like of the meat that we grow. So if, and then the transport, so again, we're saving water, we're saving carbon emissions, we're saving, so it's not just, oh, let's grow meat in a petri dish and see if people will, will buy it and will like it. There's the backstory. Um, to why this is all happening and why we're experimenting and, and what, what might the end result be. And there's vertical farming. So there's a, um, a warehouse in the Bronx where they use 95% less water to grow incredible rows of grasses. And what they do is they bag them then and there and they take them to supermarkets within a, within a specific radius. And again, we're saving water, we're saving soil, we're saving um, carbon emissions from all the transport. So there's all these greater purposes behind why we're developing and why we're using technology to meet humanity's needs. So here's my last song. There's a place in your heart And I know that it is love And this place is brighter than tomorrow You'll find there's no need to cry in this place. Well, there's no hurt or sorrow. There are ways to get there if you care enough for the living. Make a little space, make a better place. Heal the world, make it a better place. Oh,
So, healing the world with the power of technology and the power of our collective consciousness is something that is quite um, important to me. And there is a, a gentleman by the name of Mo Gaudat, G-A-W-D-A-T. And what he's doing is he was, he was in charge of a lot of the Google X projects, so the drone projects, the Google Oon, um, where they're transmitting uh, Wi-Fi from weather balloon to weather balloon um, to bring the world uh, Wi-Fi, ev like everywhere in the world Wi-Fi. And what he has done is he has come up with an algorithm, an equation for happiness. And I kind of went, there's an algorithm for happiness. But he equates happiness to... And he's got, a, he's got an amazing backstory where he lost his son um, at, a at, at 21 years of age to something that should never have, have led to his son's death. But he says that happiness is greater than or equal to the event minus the expectation. And it took a little while for me to go, well, what does that actually mean, the event minus the expectation? But then it fits in with a lot of the, the talk these days around consciousness and around mindfulness and around meditation, which are all growing um, in who meditates here or in some form or other. Okay. Um, and what about just mindfulness, being mindful of, of everything that you're doing? So is it nearly 100% of the people around? And it is a growing movement. It's a growing thing that we know that if we keep our minds still and if we think about meditating and if we um, put ourselves in a relaxed state, that our cells are healthier, our minds are healthier, we're more productive, um, even though sometimes we fight it. And I, was just, I was listening to an interview with the Dalai Lama, Jordan Dug was interviewing the Dalai Lama and she said to him, that meditation stuff, she said, I just can't do it, I can't keep my mind still. And the Dalai Lama said, yeah, neither can I. And I'm like, yes, that's fantastic. Like, so meditation doesn't necessarily just mean still your mind and get rid of all the thoughts and have a blank mind. Um, and when I found out that the Dalai Lama thought that, I was, I was extremely grateful that I'd been in the audience. Um, but what is happiness and what is happiness to each of us? And what is love and what is unconditional love? And where is the difference that we make in the world? And how do we want to be seen? Uh, and what is the impact that we want to have? What is the intent of everything that we do every day in our lives? And how does that affect the people that we love, that we, that we converse with, that we mix with? Um, and in my work with Cynic's team around um, absolute passion and purpose and why is it that we do what we do, I was talking to his right-hand person um, in New York and I said to him, I said, Stephen, I think I have two whys. He said, no, you don't. He said, you've only got one. And I went, no, I think I've got two. And he said, no, you don't. You've only got one. And there's me arguing with Simon Sinek's right hand. Like, Eventually I went, maybe he has a point. And I went away and I thought about it for a while and I thought, you know what, I do only have one why. And my why is to bring love and peace into the world by inspiring hearts and minds to what's possible. So if I sit here and I say to you, anything is possible, and people have mass transformative purposes and I've seen them at work and I've seen what they can do. And I think back to my conversation with Stephen Shed Shedletsky whose name I will learn how to pronounce. Um, my why fits my immediate family, like it's what I want for my immediate family, and it fits what I want for my sister's family, and it fits what I want for my close colleagues, and it fits what I want for every single one of my clients and my associates and the students that I'm fortunate enough to get in front of, in front of um, workshops, etc., with at universities. 
And what I want to ask you is, what is your why? Why, is your, why do you exist? Why are you working on the businesses that you're working on? Where is the sum, where is the good for the collectiveness of who we are as a human race and a human species? Because if we don't, I actually believe that we are teetering at the moment and there's reasons why certain people are getting elected into certain positions of government. Um, and it's to make us question what we want. And it's no accident that we're talking crypto and blockchain and universal basic income and tribes and passion and purpose. There's a reason why all this is happening now. Mass transformative purposes, people who are game enough to get up there and say, stand together and make a stand. Uh, and I guess I'd like to, to finish the, the talk part before we have a conversation, hopefully, um, around one of my other favourite quotes that is, bad things happen when good people stand around and do nothing. And I think we're seeing the power of one and the power of the collective in things like the demonstrations with the students um, in the United States who have finally gone, you know what, this is crazy. We don't want guns in the schools. And I have a client who was about to move to the US. She has four young children. Um, and after her last visit there, which was when the last shooting happened, she said, I'm not moving. I'm not taking my family to the States. And I have a friend who has two daughters in a school at the United States, and he showed me a letter that they get. And the letter is, we've got everything ready, um, and we have your children's best mental interest at heart, and we are ready. We want you to know that if anything happens, we're ready. And you go, that is so sick. So the collective consciousness and the collective good, um, and potentially the fact that the singularity is already here because we are moving more towards love and less towards fear. We are embracing the benefits of artificial intelligence rather than listening to a lot of the scaremongers. Uh, we are thinking about crypto and blockchain, and even though that's going to totally disrupt banking and finance and law um, and a few, a few other industries as it is, but if you are at the head of it and if you are planning on how you can help these industries improve and be better, then you're at the forefront of what could be an incredible change for humanity. So that's my formal talking bit. Thank you. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.